Hey everybody, welcome back to Ultra Hope Girls. We're so excited to have you back for case two. Just so you guys know, this podcast will spoil through chapter two, Trigger Happy Havoc. Make sure you're playing along with us at home and we will not spoil any future cases in case you're a first time player. So let's get into it. One, two. Welcome to the Don and Rupa podcast. You're on the threshold of an amazing episode. Showtime. Today, the Ultra Hope Girls will be talking about Chapter 2 of Trigger Happy Havoc, including Case 2, where Chihiro is bludgeoned to death with a dumbbell that was wielded by Mondo. But Byakia decides he wants to redo the scene to make it look like a genocider show. And Toko is revealed to be genocider show. Hey, fam. Hey. Hey. There? Going pretty well. That's so <laughs> I'm good. How are excited you? Excited to talk. Yeah, now, I'm one, excited to talk about this one. A lot to unpack. Like, a so lot much. To unpack. Let's get started. We could start talking about uh, what's new when we open up with case two. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a new floor opens. That's a huge thing. Um, yeah. They find the laptop that won't turn on. Mm-hmm. They find the principal's note. And there's a new rule that you can't lend out your notebook. Yep. This is true. I feel like every time a new rule is introduced, it's usually going to be relevant (laughs) to what is going to happen, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Also, can I just say, um, Monokuma, the ultimate transphobic. (laughs) Because um, literally, like, half of this case is, like, you have your gender that's listed in your e-handbook, and if you even, like, look at the wrong locker room that doesn't match your gender, you literally get shot by the gun <laughs> hanging from the ceiling. <laughs> I, I don't think this is in the, um, in the game, actually, but it's in the anime. One of my favorite Monokuma lines is like, yeah, I'll let y'all kill each other, but, like, but I won't let you, like, get into any hanky-panky with, like, the locker room situation. <laughs> Yeah, baby. Yes. <laughs> oh man, I actually wrote on my notes um gender norms killed Chihiro. We'll get into that, but holy yeah. cow, yes. Wow. Um Maddie, do you want to talk a little more about the letter? Sure. Um, so we find a letter in the library in Hope Speak Academy, and um it talks about um serious issues that have made it necessary to close Hope Speak Academy temporarily. I have a little excerpt from the letter if you'd like me to read it. Um, Hope Speak Academy must now lower the curtain on its glorious history for the time being. This decision was not an easy one to make, but serious issues beyond our control have made it necessary. But make no mistake, this is not the end for Hope Speak Academy. And so clearly something has gone wrong with this school, but um, Kyoko noted, notices you know the layer of dust in the letter she says i think this letter is over a year old and so you know that is quite a mystery because these people these students have just arrived at this school to you know start their school life and all of a sudden they're finding out that somehow there is something going wrong with this school apparently and they don't know what it is I think it leads to the question of, since the letter is a year old, um, it leads to the question of, did the school reopen, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, or did they miss the school's closing a year before they came in, or, um, yeah. Right, and what are these serious issues, and why do they not know about it? Because Makoto was like, oh, I did so much research on this school, and I never saw anything about that, so... It definitely opens up the game into not just being about a murder mystery like structure of game but there's like a larger mystery that the group needs to solve which is like what's going on period basically another thing (laughs) pre-trial that i do want to bring up is i feel like we see a little bit more of celeste's character development in this um chapter especially with the way she treats hifumi um and like oh, yeah. how she kind of like is kind of mean to him and makes him do things for her <laughs> um and the also milk the milk tea i literally have that like starred <laughs> milk chucks tea. it against the wall <laughs> that was oh, so funny <laughs> oh my gosh and she kind of like almost like she breaks character a little bit there like her sprite like she shows like this really angry face and then her like 
she like yells at him and her accent sounds like it goes away for a second at least in the game with like the narration like we also get to see a little bit more of her ultimate ability um in this in this chapter um there's a line when um in the anime when they are discussing everything they found in the library and um she's talking to byakuya and she says this is a zero-sum game and byakuya is kind of like oh yeah definitely is which is kind of funny because apparently in the game he's like really aggressive about it (laughs) more like hey shut up (laughs) but um yeah i actually did some research on on what zero sum games are and it's really interesting um i'm gonna give a shout out to the youtuber teal swan because i did not understand game theory and uh her video made it a lot easier to understand so um game theory and the zero sum game is Um, a mathematical representation of a situation in which each participant's gain or loss of utility is exactly balanced by the losses or gains of the utility of the other participants. So basically it's a win-lose scenario. Someone's going to win, someone's going to lose. And what's interesting that um, the YouTuber that I mentioned talked about is how being in a zero-sum game affects relationships. Um, Because when you're in a win-lose scenario game, um, you physically can't trust anyone else. There are a limited amount of resources, and because of that, it kind of becomes like a claw-your-way-to-the-top type of social structure, which makes sense in this game, because with Danganronpa, if someone else kills, then that's it. You know, the resources, which in this case are life and escaping the school, are finite. Um, and that makes everyone stop uh, cooperating and start competing. Um, and yeah, it's just super interesting. And um, the only way to get out of a zero-sum game is for everyone to take the other people's needs and desires and preferences and view them as their own. Because then if you hurt someone else, you're hurting yourself. And it becomes more of a either win-win or lose-lose scenario. It's interesting you bring this up because I feel like we can clearly see already the people in the group who are viewing it as a zero-sum game and the people who are viewing it as something like, we need to work together and like do the things. And that Absolutely. really comes out in this case. Holy yeah. cow. <laughs> um, I also want to bring up, like, I work at a bookstore for our listeners of Keep This In, um, and a common book people would come in looking for is like gambling books and like gambling theory and like the section we have in the store is so much bigger than I would have ever imagined just because gambling is something that I really have never taken an interest in Um, no I think that's interesting yeah like I think I don't know more people think that way than in real life than maybe we think think that way Yeah. And uh, one other thing that the person said um, was that any social group um, in a dysfunctional state will develop a zero-sum game. And so these characters, no matter if Monokuma had been there or not, if they had been locked inside the school, they would have developed a zero-sum game because maybe the food was gonna run out or maybe they would get freaked out and it's like, oh, like I need this more than you. And so it's kind of interesting. to know that, to know that the only way out of this game would be to work together. Yeah, and and it's kind of interesting because I think um, I think it's Celeste also that might have said earlier on in the game, um, actually, ref- she might have actually referred to the killing game as like a prisoner's dilemma. I think if I'm remembering that correctly. You're right. And yeah. that's kind of yeah, that's kind of interesting because a prisoner's dilemma is almost a little bit different because it's like you have to decide, are you going to cooperate with the people around you or are you going to betray them? And if you betray them, there could be something in it for you that is a lot better than the result if you were to cooperate. However, if you also get betrayed, it could be even worse for you if you choose to betray them as well versus if you decide to cooperate and then you can mutually benefit, but you all have to cooperate. And if there's any concern that one person is going to betray anyone, that one person can ruin the cooperation for the rest of the entire group. And so that, if I'm understanding kind of the theory of the prisoner's dilemma correctly, um, I feel like that also is like kind of a different way of looking at the killing game, but also like a really telling one. And it's, yeah, 
Absolutely. And I mean, statistically, when you're playing a prisoner's dilemma, it is statistically more likely that the person you're playing against will betray you, um, which is kind of tragic when you think of human nature. <laughs> but mm-hmm. um, yeah, that it's very true that the only way to win a prisoner's dilemma is to all cooperate, just like a zero sum game. Are we ready to move on? I have um, some free time notes if we're interested. <laughs> yeah. So um, I spent, okay, so I had three free time chunks this chapter um the first one i spent with chihiro because i knew that he was gonna die and i wanted to like you know love my little guy because i love him so much um and it was really cute because he was like going through like some self self-loathing like he was like I'm, I'm so weak and i was like you're strong buddy <laughs> sad um and then i spent the second one with my girl toko love her but i have to bring up the reason why i wanted to talk about free time a little bit is because um she says um so makoto asks her what her hobbies are and she she says something like i only i only have time to write and then she says i'm always serialized so i'm always really busy and i just think that that is such an interesting like i i had never thought about the connection between like being a series writer and being a serial killer like there is a connection there that i had not thought of and i think that that is very it's a nice little foreshadowing moment for the game because i was like oh and i knew obviously i was like oh man it's coming baby (laughs) but next i have the uh quote sauna bros Yes, the sauna bros. <laughs> that is one of my favorite memories from the first game, playing through the first game. Um, it was just so good. And I'm, I know I mentioned it in uh, one of our last episodes, but Taka is uh, the guy who I got from our first personality thing. And uh, yeah, so I just kind of felt a personal bond there with uh, <laughs> how his friendship formed with Mondo. <laughs> it's so good. I just, oh, I love the the their bro moment, their bro if you will. <laughs> I just, um, also, I just want to point out, like, kind of unexpected, maybe not totally unexpected, but from the picture we see in the sauna, Taka is jacked. Like, he's got some muscles. Like, what? He's got, like, a six-pack? Like, <laughs> I almost kind of wasn't expecting that, but I'm like, okay. Um, And I also, I just, I love their whole dynamic because I feel like it's, especially the sauna scene is like a critique of toxic masculinity. Like, wow, look at how far men will go just to prove they're manlier than other men. Like, look at how ridiculous this is. They're going to give each other heat stroke. But then they like reject that notion and they come back and they're like, it doesn't matter who wins. Like, we're friends. We're bros. Like, our manly bond is all that matters. And I just, I just love it. I feel like it's critiquing toxic masculinity and saying like, Here's the better alternative, the manly bond. And I just, I just love it. I would go so far as to say that this entire case is about toxic masculinity. That Amen. is the theme That's of true. this. It, it is like, we'll get there. But I mean, I, I think that that is just the beginning of the discussion throughout this, um, this case. So yeah. do we do we ship Ishimondo? Is that what people call them? Yes! I ship them so ship hard. Like whether it's a bromance or a romance, I don't care. I just love them. <laughs> I love it. Oh, yeah. I do too. I, I love it. I love it. And I think, I mean, seeing how, especially like how loyal Taka is to Mondo, like, I feel like that is just like, they do have a special bond and there's something, there might be something there a little bit more than like friendship. Like, I don't know, maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe they're a gay couple. Maybe they're just oh. friends. I don't know. But they clearly have a very, very special bond. I know and it's kind of it's so cute because it's like Mondo is very like rough and tumble and like less like doesn't care as much about like the rules and stuff whereas Taka is literally the ultimate moral compass and I think that that match is like so perfect it's so So cute um my next notes go to finding the body so do any of you guys have things to say before that yeah, um, I brought up the embarrassing memories, the motive. Um, oh, I want to talk yes. about that too. Yeah, yeah. Um, I sure. mean, I have the ones that we know that are on here. Um, we know Makoto's, lol, that was really funny. Makoto <laughs> <laughs> was so was bad. Like, so basic i was like okay makoto oh i was like i don't think anyone's gonna commit murder if they're all like this like i was like all right <laughs> um and then i actually thought that the 
that the juxtaposition between wet the bed and like Chihiro's of I'm a boy or Mondo's of I killed my brother like that is so intensely different like I mean that means Makoto's a really good guy one because he's never done anything like I don't know that I'd call killing my brother embarrassing so these might be have a little bit of a misnomer um, from Monokuma (laughs) but I did think that was interesting yeah I I have oh go ahead Maddie Oh, sorry. I, yeah, I was going to say, like, I agree that this kind of motive is one that kind of differentiates people it, because it, the motive is going to be so much stronger for some people than others. I mean, for some people like Makoto, like Makoto went the bed until he was in fifth grade. Like, that's embarrassing, but you're not going to kill somebody to keep that secret. And um, speculating on what the other people's secrets might have been. Um, I mean, Taka said like he was like we should just share ours and then the motive will be gone so his probably isn't that bad Hina seemed like she was willing to share hers so hers might not be that bad but like there might definitely be people in that group who I think it's um Byakuya who says like you know it's foolish to judge people judge other people based on your own morals or based on your own like hang on I'm trying to think of a better way to phrase that I have the quote written down. Yes, please I, share the quote. It, it is, to judge others by your own standards is a height of folly. And I think yes. that that, I actually had it highlighted as like, I think that that quote, I've done this unintentionally the first time too. So maybe it, sharing a quote that encompasses the case is my thing. But I think that that quote is like what this case is about. Yeah. At its and, core. Yeah. I mean, it really is. Because it's like, you you don't know like what other people have going on in that in those heads of theirs you don't know what you know they have in their life and it's just so yeah I mean I I agree with Byakuya there I I just thought it could be interesting to like kind of speculate on what the other character's secrets might be one thing that stood out to me was um Celeste says it would be quote impossible unquote to talk about what her secret is and so I wonder what that means I don't know if it's something that like if by impossible she just means oh it's impossible like I'm not going to do it I'm not willing to talk about this um but or if she means impossible literally like she can't tell or like can't explain it or or something I don't know I I thought impossible was an interesting choice of word I wondered a little bit if hers had been something to do with like cheating at one point with gambling I don't know why that would make it so that she couldn't possibly say it and I don't know if she'd need to since she's the ultimate gambler um but I mean, that would be incredibly embarrassing as the ultimate something to have to fake your way to the top. Also, she is the ultimate gambler. She is the ultimate bluffer. And so maybe it would be impossible for her to say because she is not used to being honest with people. Interesting. Yeah, Yeah, that could very easily be it. Yeah. Drop the mic. (laughs) (laughs) And so we obviously know what Toko's is. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I always, what is Biakia's? Oof, good question. I'm not sure. I mean, something embarrassing for him? I could easily see his card saying nothing. You're embarrassed by nothing. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> I also had the question of, like, how did Monokuma get these? Yeah. How? That's another good question. I, I, don't, I don't have an answer. Yeah. I, it just, maybe he, he is just so all-powerful like, bigger than we can even imagine. I don't know. I mean, I, I think Celeste is the one that stood out to me just because of the way she talks about it, which I thought was interesting. I'd be very, very curious to see what Kyoko's is, because she's, like, a very kind of mysterious character. I bet um, Hifumi's said, you like girls in 3D. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> You're right. That's, That's the only right answer. <laughs> yeah. Important to mention, Toko expresses interest in Biakia. Like, uh, interest. <laughs> and we have a very split room on this category, let me tell you, my friends. Because <laughs> I personally, and again, I haven't played through the whole game, so there might be some things that come up later that makes me change my mind, but I've always loved the pairing of Toko and Biakia. I think that it, it's, like, the only one that, that could work for both of them in a way because it's like she loves him as much as he loves himself (laughs) and it's like just I don't know I always love it also I love Biakia so yeah yes Baron I think that in a way it's the ultimate sadist and the ultimate masochist paired together and 
I I mean, I love them. I, yeah, I don't know that I would call it healthy, but I also don't <laughs> know that I could find a person who's better suited for either of them, you know? Also, like, Toko is, like, constantly a ticking time bomb of, like, will Genocider Show come out? Byakia loves that stuff, you guys, because he is out here, like, taking a risk. I don't know, you know what I mean? Like, I think he likes that kind of, too. So... In regards to your um, split room comment, I am the odd one out of us three. I do not support Byakuya and Toko as a relationship. I love both of them as characters. I really do. I mean, like, Byakuya is, like, really, ugh. Can I say he's an asshole? Like, is that too much cursing for this no, podcast? No. So, honestly, <laughs> like, Byakuya is a total asshole. And if he were a real person, I'd be like, I hate this guy. But as a character, I love him. Like, I just love him. And I know I'm supposed to hate him because he's awful. And he's, like, probably a literal psychopath. But I love him. And Toko, I love her for, like, her own reasons. And, uh, but I just, the relationship, and this might be me taking it a little too seriously and not just being like, oh, it's just fiction, you know. But I just think the relationship dynamic is so abusive and so toxic and so unhealthy. And um, I also really just think, for me, I, I don't see how, like, Byakuya likes her. Like, I just, I think all that I see is, like, Byakuya literally detests her. And for Toko, I think a lot of it is, is like, delusional. Like, because she has her own things. She has DID. She has her own kind of, like, um, definitely, like, mental health problems going on. But I think she even, I mean, like, just from my psychology standpoint... Um, I would honestly say that she has erotomania. And for anyone who doesn't know, erotomania is like a, like a specific delusion that you have where somebody, you're obsessed with somebody and you also have the delusion that they are also in love with you. And it could literally be, um, I mean, it could be a celebrity. It could be someone who gave you, got, you know, a barista you got coffee from once. It could be someone you barely know, or it could be someone you do know. But um, it's, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a very strong and powerful delusion. And I think the example of Toko, you know, saying, oh, Byakuya told me that I stink. He told me I need to go take a bath. Like, that means he really cares about me. Like, to me, that is like classic textbook erotomania, like looking for reasons why and like twisting everything into a reason why they like you instead of like, even if they hate you. Yeah, I, I just, I, and it would make sense for her to have that, like considering she's the, you know, she's a romance novelist, like erotomania would be very fitting for her, I think. Um, but I just, I just, I can't, I can't ship Yakuya and Toko. I just can't do it. I think it's too easy to say that he doesn't care for her. Um, like I hear what you're saying um, and I can't give you any examples right now because it um, comes up later in the game. Um, but I think that there are times where Byakuya cares about Toko um, pretty evidently in his own way which is a pretty strong statement just because I mean he rarely shares any emotions <laughs> that aren't disdain <laughs> yeah I mean I I will be very interested to to hear from you on like what those kind of things are and to hear like your um, perspective on like how he kind of cares about her in his own way for me and we can um talk about this again later because this gets into the trial but for me witnessing everything that happens during this trial in case two makes me think there's no way that he actually cares about her we can get into that later if you want but um because that's very very for me that's very heavily dependent on the events of the trial all right you guys so we're gonna take a short break and we'll be back with more danganronpa investigation and trial right after this Hey guys, before we take our break, I just wanted to come on here and let you know that we have actually been able to start a Patreon. Thanks to you all, our first month has been incredibly successful and we're so thankful to have you guys as listeners because we're just three friends who are really passionate about Danganronpa and we are so glad that we are actually able to create content for you guys. So if you are able to support us financially, we would so appreciate it. And our Patreon subscriptions come with some awesome perks. So we're gonna talk to you about those right now. 
So the first option for donations is $2 a month, and that makes you a reserve course donor. And this will actually give you some early access to some of our episodes, as well as some Patreon-exclusive extras, including bloopers from our podcast, um, possibly some deleted scenes that we had to cut for time, silly videos that we've made, including reactions to us playing the games, and more. If you donate $5 per month, you are a first-year student donor, and in addition to all of the things that Maddie said, you will also get added to a patrons-only Discord server, um, you will have double entries in any future giveaways that we do, and you will receive a free MP3 of our music. All right, so at $10 a month, you are the ultimate donor. That means you are a super high school level donor. And these donors, in addition to everything that has just been said, you also get to be part of Caroline's book club via Zoom. So that means book club with the IRL high school literary girl. And you also get to have live Discord chats with us and get to hang out. And it'll be super fun. Maybe we could play some of the games together. Maybe have fun like Jackbox game nights. It'll be really fun. So the money that you would be donating would help us be able to create more content for you guys. We'll be able to go to conventions and meet you guys, create merch, and maybe have more special guests on our podcast. So thank you very much in advance. And we're so glad to have you guys as listeners. And we can't wait to have you as supporters as well. Hello, everybody. Caroline here with a pretty exciting announcement. So I, separate from the other Ultra Hope girls, am offering some online virtual classes in things such as writing, because, you know, I'm the ultimate literary girl, and performing, and also some clubs and classes virtually via my own school, which I founded, called The Spilling Ink School. You can check that out at thespillinginkschool.com. I'm offering tutoring and college essays. I'm offering, you know, piano classes and all that jazz. So definitely check it out. It's a good time. And I will also be offering some clubs and classes that are Danganronpa related via OutSchool. So I'll keep the links all in the description. They are for people under 18, so ask your parents before checking it out. But yeah, I'm excited to potentially have some listeners in my classes, and I wanted to let you know that that's going on. So thanks so much in advance for checking it out, and I look forward to teaching some of you. All right, so... I want to start talking a little bit about the investigation before we get into the trial, because I think there are some things worth noting that happened in the investigation specifically. One is that Monokuma introduces the two-person rule, specifically yeah. for um, a potential serial killer <laughs> so that they don't just kill everybody. Um, but also, I think that that is just worth noting. Again, rules sometimes affect future things, so you know, it's a rule is always an important thing to note. Um, yeah, there's a reason for every rule. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so my second thing is more of like a question um, and seeing if you guys have anything, you know, to like talk about with it. Um, why does Byakuya trust Makoto now? How do you know he trusts him? Why does he give him the information that he does? Why him? Why not any other person? Do you mean the information about uh, Genocide Jack? Yes. Who else is he going to give the info to? Like, Kyoko hasn't told her ultimate ability, so I wouldn't trust Kyoko. Um, I mean, a lot of the other people are kind of loons. I mean, <laughs> you know, and in the first trial, Makoto is the one who gets them to the final answer that saves their lives. That's true. That's true. And Byakuya yeah. refers to Byakuya refers to Makoto's quote unquote talent that allowed him to solve Sayaka's case, um, which I think is interesting because um, I don't know. Do we do we think that that is accurate? Do we think that Makoto showed, you know, was especially talented at, you know, kind of figuring stuff out? Or do we think that it's kind of I mean, I would also be like, well, I was the person controlling Makoto. It was me figuring stuff out because I was playing the game. But like, <laughs> but I also feel like um, Kyoko, I mean, yeah, like there's an issue of trust there because she hasn't revealed what her ultimate ability is. Like she hasn't really told anyone anything about herself, but she clearly is very smart and she clearly figured stuff out and was miles ahead of everyone else in that trial and in this one too. And so I can't help but wonder if... Makoto is really the one, like, that Byakuya should be, you know, relying on with that. 
So I have two comments. One, I would hesitate to say that Byakuya now trusts Makoto. I don't think Byakuya trusts anyone ever in this game. Um, he's very cautious not to do that. And with Kyoko, if I met someone who was incredibly intelligent, who did not trust me with anything, you can bet I wouldn't share anything with them. I mean, I know they're intelligent and I'm in the middle of a killing game. And if I had to pick someone who I thought could could successfully murder me, it would probably be her. She's mm. quiet and very intelligent. And like that is a dangerous combo. A dangerous woman. <laughs> yeah. She's Ariana wow. Grande. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I just thought it was worth discussing. And the way he approaches it, he's so like, you know... Um, Oh, I've decided that you're going to work with me on this case. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, all right. <laughs> Guess we don't have any option there, buddy. <laughs> um, all right. Trial time. Trial time. Can I trial can time. I just say something now that we're moving into the trial? And um <laughs> can I just say one thing? Is that can you imagine how confused Mondo must have been throughout this entire investigation and trial? He's like, what the hell is going on? Like, like, I can't imagine, like, just all of a sudden finding Chihiro, like, strung up like that with the words written in blood, like, with bloodlust written on the wall in Chihiro's blood. And Mondo was like, uh, I didn't do that. Like, what on earth is going on? And then there's this whole thing about a serial killer, and he's, this poor man must have just been like, what on earth is going on? I think if it had been me, if I were Mondo in that situation, I would know that I was not making it out of this. Um, Because that Mm. means that between the time I murdered someone and, like, now the investigation, someone has seen the scene and had enough time to change it that drastically. Like, I think I would be incredibly worried that someone saw. Like, that would be one of the only possibilities in my mind. Yeah. I hear you. And I think um, I actually completely forgot about the twist that Byakia was the one who staged the body like that. Oh my god. He yeah. he loves having his like fingers in this game and controlling it. Like he knows, like he knew who killed um, Chihiro before anyone else did because he witnessed Mondo leaving the locker room and went in and said, oh, well, guess it's, this girl's dead. Let me just you know, touch a dead body of somebody and not respect them at all <laughs> and string them up. Oh you my know psychopath. <laughs> what's really interesting, though, is that in the anime, he did not see Mondo. Like, it is not said that he saw Mondo. Really? Um, yeah, not at all. And it, that is so interesting because his reason for changing the scene is completely different in the anime than the game. In the game, he says, like, it wasn't interesting enough. I saw Mondo. That's so boring. I wanted to have fun. And in the anime, he says, I wanted to throw off the killer. I wanted to, like, watch everyone's face and see who was, like, really confused about what was going on and was like, I murdered someone another way and it's not right, which is kind of what we were just saying. And those two different motives are so different. Yeah, that's really different. That's really interesting. But I think what's brilliant about this case is it it is like flipping the switch on us and it's showing us what Danganronpa can do because Genocide Jack, we're out here like, holy crap, Toko is Genocide Jill. And then like, but that's not the only reveal. That is not the only thing that is going to come of this case. In fact, there are going to be two more plot twists throughout this entire <laughs> case. And it is so good. Yeah. I don't know. I, I wonder if I, so one thing, one note that I had is Byakuya's motive, like his reason behind all of his behavior during this chapter, because mm-hmm. it's just a little bit strange. I mean, we know that he is clearly probably a bit of a psychopath, at least a little bit, maybe a little bit more than a little bit. Um, we know that he kind of doesn't really care about anyone else in this game. He wants to win it for himself. He says outright, he's like, I'm going to win this game. I'm not going to die. He says, you know, I'm having fun with this game. I want to make it more interesting. That's why I did what I did. In the anime, you know, it's a little bit different, but um, messing with the body and, you know, outing Genocide Jack. His reasons for having Makoto kind of lead the way, like, in the investigation. And, but especially just with the fact that he, 
you know, posed the whole murder scene to make it look like it was Genocide Jack when it wasn't. So I have two things with that. Um, We kind of talked about his motive for changing the scene a little bit already. Mm -hmm. For outing Genocide Jack slash Jill, um, (laughs) I thought about that for a while. Um, And I think what it is, and this is from me, I think that he does like Toko. Um, And so that is probably going to twist my reasoning a little bit different than I'm guessing how Maddie sees it. Um, But for me, him outing Genocide Jill, he said from the beginning that if we got to the end of this case and everyone was like, all right, we're going to kill Toko, that he would step up and say no, because he obviously doesn't want to die. So he outed Genocide Jill, but he knew that it wouldn't kill her. It wouldn't kill him. Like he's very aware of this whole thing. And so I think he told her secret so that it wouldn't come out later in a way that he couldn't control. He made a very controlled scenario um, that he had full power over um, in order to out this very, very terrifying secret. Like I think later if she had sneezed in a trial and came up as genocide uh, Jill and there was a murder in the future that I won't talk about, (laughs) then um, it would have been a lot harder to be like, oh my goodness, there's a serial killer here. We don't know anything about her. And then if Biaki is over on the side, like, no, wait, I know things about her. She only kills this way. Everyone would be like, yeah, okay, it's a serial (laughs) killer. We're going to vote for her. So I think that he, by exposing her secret in a very controlled way that he knew he wouldn't lose, saved Toko. So that's, I mean, that's, that's a very interesting take on it. I I think that that's something I hadn't considered. I just, for me, I struggle with um, feeling like that this is any kind of like reflection of him caring about her because yes, he would have stepped up and stopped them from voting for Toko, but that's also because he personally would have died if they had gotten it wrong about him kind of like deciding to take control over the situation and how he was going to like reveal her secret. I agree with that. I think he definitely has a thing about control and wanting to be in charge of the situation. I mean, he literally went and like posed a dead body so he could have like, you know, his moment in the trial. But um, I, I think for me, I mean, it, it just felt so, it, it felt like he was just, you know, like tormenting her with this thing because, you know, he literally says at one point in the trial, he to her he was like you know you know like that you know getting having the secret come out would destroy you it would devastate you and yet here he is revealing it to everyone and you know she starts crying at one point she literally screams at him I hate you and it's like I you know I don't blame her because it's kind of it's just it's a very cruel way to reveal it and I think that I understand why Byakuya would reveal that to the group I mean if I were in this situation I probably would too, just because it's something that people should know. Like, oh my God, we're in a killing game. There's a serial killer in the group. You might guys want, might want to know this. But the way that he does it is just so pointedly cruel, I think, that I just can't see how it's a reflection of him, like his caring about her. I, I think it's, it's really just the opposite. Like he's like torturing her like this almost. I don't think it's that cruel. Like I don't understand why it's cruel. I know she says, I hate you. Um, what would be a nicer way to do it though? You know, she's a serial killer. She is a murderer. She has murdered hundreds of boys. Like, should you really care that you're outing her? Like she, she is a murderer, you know? And like, I don't know what a nicer way to do it is. He saved her life by outing her now. And so I don't know what a nicer way to be like, Hey guys, just so you know, trial's over this girl right here. (laughs) murderer <laughs> like i don't think that would be any nicer it's still revealing the secret i just sorry Caroline, i wanted to just say like could you imagine if it was makoto in this situation and he'd be like hey guys so we need to be working together as a team and tell everybody our secrets and so i think it's really important toko do you have something you want to share with the group and she'd be like what what are you talking about ah. <laughs> like Makoto's like, I went to bed till the fifth grade. (laughs) Okay, anyone else? No? No? (laughs) Anyway, that's all. I just wanted to make a joke. So the other thing that I just couldn't stop thinking about was was the fact that um, he is telling Toko that, like, you know, I'm, I'm, he, he reveals that Toko came to him and told him about her 
her alternate personality and the serial killer thing. Like she went to him, she told him. Was it a bad idea to trust him? Probably. But, um, and so she supposedly made a promise with him um, that she would not let anyone, she would not let Genocide Jack kill anyone. Um, and so according to Toko, she says, oh, you promised you'd go out with me. Like if I kept my promise. And then he says, I never said that. And so I wonder which one is true. Like if he is just lying, like if he was making that promise just to manipulate her and then was lying about it, or if he really never said that, and that is just like another one of her delusions. But you're missing the secret third option where he did make that promise. You know, like you said, he either didn't make the promise or Toko was having a delusion. He could have made that promise and didn't want to tell the group. You know, like that is not something he would share with the group. Um, so I, I think that <laughs> I think you're really against. Oh the no, I was saying I was saying he might he might have made that promise and then lied about saying I never made that promise, but he actually did. But was that just was it was he just saying that to manipulate her, or did he actually not make that promise? You know what I mean. Mm-hmm. I, I want to make a comment on the voice acting actually in that moment because I was listening and as as an actor I will say <laughs> that it the way that the line is delivered it sounds more like he because the way he says it he says I never said that like like the way it sounds is that he never actually made the promise that is what I took from it with the voice acting choice but we might again like in replaying the game find out a little bit more about that situation so I have a genocider show fun fact for everybody in the room because um, Toka's my girl, Toka's my gal, and I know a lot about her. And so fun fact, so genocider show always has scissors strapped to the inside of her thighs. So Toko always has scissors underneath her skirt. That's why her skirt is so long. And it's a lot longer than the other girl's skirts because it needs to cover that up. It also needs to cover up tally marks for every person that she has murdered that genocide show has put on the inside of her thighs. And I just want to bring that up because it is the saddest thing. If you think about that for a second, because Togo has to share her body with someone else. And it is just a constant reminder physically that her body is not hers. So one more thing, this is a short thing that I just wanted to say is that I hate, 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 that they use the word schizo in the hangman's gambit. I hate I know. I know to reveal her split personality because I'm like I mean I understand like the creators of Dang and Rapa, you know, it's they probably have limited knowledge on everything but like I, I mean just me I I take it so like um to heart because I'm coming from a psychology background and this stuff is very important to me but like what schizo is just not like a good term at all i mean it's are you referring to schizophrenia are you referring to schizotypal personality disorder schizoid personality so who knows like there's a lot of things it could refer to but none of those are the same thing and none of those are dissociative identity disorder i know so i just the stigma i oh, i just wanted to put that out there i hate that they use that word yeah and i think we're all in agreement on, on that that yeah. front there yeah that is definitely a very problematic aspect of this part of the game yeah, I love Danganronpa, but that one, I was just like, no, no. So from um, after Mondo's found guilty, um, <laughs> this is one of my big points. I was really excited about it. I researched this for like two hours. Um, okay. Oh, wow. I know. Whew, zooey mama. All right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's taken us this long to get to it. <laughs> um, so Taka and Mondo, uh, Mondo, they call each other brother. Um, especially Taka calling Mondo brother throughout the entire thing. And that was so interesting to me because we find Mondo killed his own brother. Um, And I think that there are a lot of parallels between Mondo's relationship with Taka and Mondo's relationship with the brother that, that he like murdered. Um, Yeah. Oh, I will say I'm kind of like skeptical of the idea of saying that he killed his brother though, because it almost seems like, you know, he might have been partially responsible because, you know, he challenges his brother to this race in the street and he's being reckless. And But, you know, it, it looks like, I mean, when you watch the little video they give you, it looks like his brother pushes him out of the way of a truck and, like, saves his life. And so I don't know if, if that really is accurate to even say that he killed his brother. I mean, maybe that's the way Mondo feels about it. Maybe it's more yeah. of a reflection of his personal guilt. But right. 
It's a little because I mean, in the game, when he's talking about like his embarrassing memory, he says, "I murdered my brother." So that's like his take on it. I agree with you that it was more like his bad decisions caused his brother to self-sacrifice for Mondo. So it was Mondo's life for his brother's. Um, But yeah, so murder is probably not the right word, but it is how he feels about it. Um, But yeah, so the vote was not unanimous. um, No, and that is so interesting. I just, I have to also bring up, I think that there is a connection with um, Mondo's delusion sort of about how he is, he murdered his brother and like him not being able to forgive himself up to this point. And then Chihiro juxtaposed, it's kind of like a shadow reality. Like Mondo took his secret and is reminded of this terrible thing he did. And Chihiro reads the secret, reads the words and says, I need to let this this delusion I have about myself go and shed the skin and become better. Because if I only remember myself for my weakest moments, I can never improve. And Mondo never comes to that realization. Um, Though I do think he gets a very full character arc with this um, case. Like sometimes um, characters leave us like Leon, I think is a good example. And I don't feel like we've gotten a full arc for the character. Mondo, I do not feel that way. The way he submits in the end, and he's like, you're right, I did it. And he admits that he killed this person. I, I think that there is a full, like that is a full circle moment, you know, and also, I think he gets that ending. Okay, so one of the things that he says, this was like my big point. He says um, at the end, right before he's about to die and Taka is like freaking out, um, he says, I'm sorry, big bro. I couldn't keep our promise between men. And that was so sad for me. I like listened to that and I was like, wow. And I was like, at first I was like, okay, like this is between Taka and Mondo. I was like, of course, like, you know, um, they've been calling each other brother since they had that challenge. Well, I did some research. (laughs) Mondo's uh, birthday is June 9th and Taka's birthday is August 31st. Um, Japanese students begin high school at 16 and the school starts in April. So the cutoff date is April, which means that both Mondo and Taka were 15 when they started at Hope's Peak, which means that Mondo is older than Taka. And so Taka is not his big brother. And so he, when he said that, when he said, I'm sorry, big bro, he was talking to his brother. Oh. He was talking to his actual brother. And he was like, I couldn't keep our promise. And so he broke his promise to his brother for a second time. And it was like, that was so big for me because like, oh man, it was just, that made me like almost cry when I found that out. And I think that's interesting because um, it's not that he was forgetting about Taka in the end, um, but I do think that it means a little bit more that he was talking to a dead person. I mean, he's talking to a spirit of someone and like that was wild to me. I think Caroline's right that that was a perfect end to his character arc, you know, like he's realizing his faults and he's wishing he had done things differently. And that, I thought it was beautiful. He, he like forgives himself. And it, it it's like, God, this case is so good. It's so sad. Jeez. Yeah. It's so sad. I honestly, I don't know if I'd even go so far as to say he forgives himself, but he, he accepts it. He accepts like, I've done something really wrong. You know, and, and it's interesting because he puts up a fight throughout the trial. Like, you know, he says like, I didn't kill him. I didn't kill him. Like up until the end when he realizes he's cornered with the e-handbook thing. And then he says, we're, you know, Makoto's like, all we have to do is look at his handbook and then we'll find out. And Mondo says, we don't have to do that. Like, it's true. I killed him. And he just resigns himself to this. And so I think it's like, he is like desperate up until that point to maybe even, you know, get out of the situation alive. But then I, I think he just, it just wears him down and it just, the guilt becomes too much for him. Yeah. So I have, um, I, I, I think this might could be the final discussion question. Um, I, I just said, like, what is strength? What is weakness? And what role does toxic masculinity play in the way that this case played out with the men involved? That's deep. I think this whole case brings up a lot about um, gender and what gender should mean and what it does mean and how that differs. You know, um, I mean, 
Chihiro decided that Mondo was the ultimate man. He was everything he wanted to be. Um, but in reality, I don't think he is. Um, I mean, I'm pretty sure we can say that confidently, that that's not who he should have strive, strove to be. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's like Chihiro looked at the skin, like the outside is what it meant to be a man instead of looking within himself for what it means to be a man. And I, I'm very sad that like he will never actually get to realize that for himself because he died thinking that that is what is the expectation of being a man when being a man can mean wearing whatever the heck you want um right yeah and mondo even says um that part of the rage he felt and the reason he kind of you know i guess if we're calling it like a crime of passion that mondo just like snapped and like you know um he even says like mondo says i was jealous of him because he was showing a strength like a genuine strength that i didn't have because I think he says, I don't have the exact quote, but he says, you know, Chihiro had the strength to actually stand up to his weakness and acknowledge it and be like, you know, I don't, there's part of myself, you know, there is a part of myself that I don't like and I want to change and become better um, versus Mondo who just kind of tries to, I guess, shove it down, like bury it, don't acknowledge it. Like I am strong. I am a man. Like I have no weakness. And I think Mondo realizes that at the end and realizes like, damn that's not what strength is like it's it's really um it's really something a lot more deep than that i would almost argue actually that um chihiro is the ideal man um maybe not in the beginning but by the end where he realizes or he is realizing that he can he can overcome his like his flaws and he can be whatever he wants to be like that to me is more of an ideal than than just a body type. Amen, Marin. That's all I'm going to say to that. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, wow. I also, really quick, um, I, I have up here as like a very highlighted note, something very neat about these games is that no matter how convoluted the cases get, it always comes back to the motive. Always. It is yeah. always about that. There is almost never a situation up to the point that I've played in the games where it has nothing to do with the motive. Yeah. Which I think is worth noting. I think we should also talk about the post case, at least for justice. Oh yeah. The, um, yes, I agree. Yeah. Um, so something interesting about the post case I noticed, um, is that Monokuma is playing cat's cradle with his fingers in the chair. And that is an interesting game. Um, it's a game of string where you're trying to create new shapes and you can get to like an ultimate shape And there. Um, I mean, I, I went on a page to look at all of the different shapes. Is this in the anime that he's playing it? No, no in, in the, the game. game. After yeah. the game. Oh, okay. In the anime, that. he does not talk to anyone after there's that scene it doesn't exist and so I went into the game to to see what was going on <laughs> but um he's playing cat's cradle and it's interesting because cat's cradle takes two or more people to win um you can't win by yourself and I think that that's interesting especially with what conversation is happening during that time and two I could be really wrong, um, so I'm sorry to all of the very big Cat's Cradle fans out there if I am, but <laughs> the shape that he had on his finger was the diamond shape, if I'm right, and Mondo's gang is the crazy oh. diamonds, and so yeah. I just thought that that was a little full circle thing, but uh, yeah. And what we learn in this scene, the, the information that we get to move forward into the next chapter is we learn there's an introduction implying that there is somebody in the group who is a traitor. And there is a question asked by said student of who the 16th student is. Yeah. And we're left on that note. So Monokuma, Monokuma also tells that person, this mysterious gray person, um, that they were, they were supposed to make the first move. Yeah. Mm. And it so. didn't happen. But yeah, that, I think that might be a wrap on yeah, case two, on my on. guys. Wow. Hope you guys enjoyed. All right, so we actually got our first audience question from Facebook, and this question is from Emily, um, who asks about Chihiro's gender. Um, we did use she/her pronouns in the first episode to talk about Chihiro, um, which is apparently a big topic of debate in the fandom. So Emily was curious to see what we had to say about that, 
And the primary reason we used she, her to talk about Chihiro in the first episode was to avoid spoilers about the revelation that Chihiro was actually a boy in the second episode. But it is an interesting, um, an interesting topic to discuss in the fandom, Chihiro's gender. Definitely. Um, for me, this uh, question boils down to gender identity versus gender expression, which in case you don't know what those terms are, gender identity is the gender that you feel you are on the inside, in your heart of hearts and your soul. That is the gender you identify as. Whereas your gender expression is the, how you express your gender, which could lean more masculine, could lead more fem- feminine, could lead to the Z-axis, it could lead into infinite places, but the those two terms are incredibly different. So for example, I tend to dress very androgynously, though I identify as female. I wear clothes that could be considered more masculine, um, but that doesn't make me a, a man, and I'm not non-binary. I'm, I identify as a woman. And so for Chihiro, I believe that they identify as a he, because, you know, he says, I want to be more of a man. I want to you know, accept who I am. And there's no implication there that he doesn't, he's dressing this way because he feels dysphoria. It seems more to be his expression of his gender versus um, being transgender. Right. And uh, he even talks about how his parents um, were really against him owning, um, like there's an image of him holding a pink bunny, like a stuffed animal, and him getting like pretty bullied for that. And, you know, a pink bunny, it does not um, mean that you're transgender, you know, like I think Caroline's right that it's more about um, gender identity than, um, yeah, expression. Yeah, and I think a lot of people, I think, in the fandom do kind of have a headcanon that Chihiro is trans. Um, I'm not sure if I identify with that headcanon, because I, I think that for Chihiro, it's kind of like him pretending to be a girl was a way to, like, hide his weakness, sort of. And and it is kind of, we could have a whole discussion about that and about how, you know, if if, if it's problematic to be like, I'm weak, so I'm a girl, like, associating, you know, femininity with weakness obviously that's a problem in of itself but yeah I I don't personally believe that Chihiro is trans I think he is a boy and that he doesn't necessarily maybe doesn't necessarily struggle with his gender identity like Caroline says but maybe with the expression yeah so thank you Emily for that question and if you would like the chance to have your question featured in one of our later podcasts please feel free to comment on our Facebook group or Facebook page and we will address your question. You also have the option to leave us a voicemail there's a link in the description of the episode to anchor.fm where you can leave a voice recording and you could have your voice featured in our episode. All right, so we're going to get going on a bedwed behead, my friends. (laughs) Maddie, do you want to share who we're going to be doing this time? Sure. So the three people for this round that we have to choose from are our three bros, Mondo, Taka, and Chihiro. Would one of you like to go first? Sure, I can get started. Um, All right. Uh, I hate I hate to do this to myself, <laughs> but uh, I'm gonna be head Taka. <laughs> okay. I love him, but oh, uh, I don't know. I just love the other two a little more. Um, I would probably wed Chihiro and bed Mondo because I think Chihiro would be a better, long-lasting relationship. Um, I love Mondo, I do, but you know his his rage could could be a problem be in a long-term marriage. <laughs> Um, I, okay, so I think that I would also marry Chihiro. I just think we'd also have a lot in common. And I think, um, I've often been told, um, that we're very similar, um, in a lot of ways. So I would probably pick him. Um, I think I would bed Taka just because he is just more my type. Um, I'm not usually into like more macho guys. Um, and so that, for that reason, I would kill Mondo. I actually have the same answer as Marin. Um, same all three answers. I would wed Chihiro because I love him. He's my boy. I think um, that he's just so sweet. Like, I, I just think that would work, you know? And um, I guess, I guess bed Mondo and then behead Taka just because I don't, I'm sorry. I know there are a lot of, actually a lot of Taka fans out there, but I'm just not a huge fan. He kind of gets on my nerves a little bit. I gotta say about Taka, I feel like playing the game is making me like him more than I used to. 
one hundred percent. And also like knowing that he's like Marin's little little guy. That's true. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> hey guys, it's me. <laughs> All right. Uh, Thank you guys for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you'd like to leave any comments, questions, any, uh, anything you'd like to hear from us in the future, please visit our Facebook page. We have a page you can like and a special page where you can be a a secret member. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So just uh, join that if you'd like, and we'd love to hear from you. Um, We also uh, have an account on the Amino app for Danganronpa. It is Ultra Hope Girls Pod. Um, So check us out there and uh, we can't wait to hear from you. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye.